Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We are currently in chapter 10 at verse 1. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 10 of the book of Daniel where it says this. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the twenty-fourth day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body also was like beryl, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell upon them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision. Yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. So here we are in the book of Daniel at chapter 10, and we find ourselves in a totally different context in many regards because of the location as well as this particular vision. This is uh, located by the Tigris River is what he says, and uh, he says it's in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, and that means uh, this is uh, several years uh, later than uh, the vision or the the revelation that Gabriel gave to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, just uh, the chapter before this one. And uh, yet uh, this uh, is another occurrence, and it's, it's at least three years later, maybe more. And it says that uh, that Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, is is the king now. And of course, we know that uh, Darius the Mede was the one that uh, was governor over Babylon in particular, and he was there to take control of Babylon, according to the earlier part of this story. Uh, and uh, yet now, uh, Daniel acknowledges uh, this particular setting as located in this particular time reference. And that's the marker here, Cyrus, king of Persia, and his third year of reign. That means this was uh, in 536 BC. You see, Daniel did not return with the rest of the people back to Jerusalem and Judah when they were free to uh, free to go. They had been released to go, and Cyrus was responsible for that. And uh, And yet now, 
Uh, Daniel is still there in uh, in that part, uh, that region, about 20 miles from Babylon uh, on uh, the river Tigris by the banks there. It, it, uh, it doesn't give us any more details than that. But Cyrus, the king of Persia, is an interesting character, partly because 200 years, at least 200 years ahead of time, uh, Isaiah had prophesied about this guy and this king. And uh, in fact, uh, Isaiah uses his name in particular. It says in Isaiah 44, verse 28, it is I who says of Cyrus, and this is the Lord speaking, uh, he is my shepherd and he will perform all my desire and he de- he uh, declares of Jerusalem, she will be built, and of the temple, your foundation will be laid. And so, um, in Isaiah's prophecies uh, are, are kind of uh, compressed, you might say, with these various ideas, but it it names Cyrus in particular as the one responsible. And it's interesting that the Lord God calls uh, this. Persian king to be my shepherd. Do you realize that is a uh, that's a messianic title for God to call uh, this king my shepherd? And uh, and although this king was a pagan king, he was he was a Gentile king. He wasn't Jewish, and he was not a follower of the law of Moses at all. And yet uh, God has the uh, has the. Uh, uh, the wherewithal to call him my shepherd. Why? Because of not because he was all that great of a character, one way or another, or because he was greatly religious, or because he reflected anything about the Messiah, except for this role of relieving the Jewish people of their oppression and sending them back to the land. That is the role of Messiah to bring the sheep back to the to fold. And uh, that is what, uh, what Cyrus did in that one action. Regardless of the rest of uh, the dimensions of his character and his personality, uh, we don't know anything about that. But we do know that Isaiah named him by name. And again, uh, Isaiah says it again in different words, but Isaiah uh, chapter 45, verses 1 and 13, you can read the entire paragraph if you'd like in another occasion. But it says in verse 1 of Isaiah 45, thus says the the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. Again, look at that. Uh, it says his anointed. He names Cyrus, this Persian king, uh, uh, 200 years in advance, and God calls him his anointed. That is another title for Messiah. That doesn't mean that Cyrus is the Messiah. It means that in this one single act and in this part of his character, this one slice out of his behavior as a king, he is functioning in a Messiah role. That is, it says, it continues on in verse 1, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut, so that God gave uh, God prophesies through uh, Isaiah uh, 200 years in advance that he would guide this king named Cyrus to release the Jewish people to enter back into the land. And it says in verse 13, to com- 
conclude that particular paragraph. We won't read the entire uh, uh, section there in Isaiah 45, but the, uh, the conclusion is in verse 13, he says, I have aroused him in righteousness, and I will make all his ways smooth. He will build my city and will let my exiles go free without any payment or reward, says the Lord of hosts. So, this is the acknowledgement of uh, in advance, way in advance, several generations in advance, by name, uh, the God is giving this revelation to Isaiah that this fellow Cyrus is functioning in this particular uh, section or in this particular action, that is, uh, in as the Messiah himself. And he's a reflection of what the Messiah will do in bringing God's people back to God's land and inhabiting that land and inhabiting the city of Jerusalem. And uh, so it says, he will let my exiles go free. That's exactly what Cyrus, the king of Persia, ended up doing 200 years after Isaiah had been given that revelation. And, uh, and notice that this revelation now is a message revealed to Daniel, who was also named Belteshazzar. In other words, at the beginning of chapter 10, he wants to make sure that we understand that this particular section is a, um, is a reflection of, of the context of uh, Daniel's role in the, uh, in the Babylon Empire, the Babylonian Empire, and now it's the Persian Empire, and his name is still identified as Belteshazzar. In other words, he's retained this identity, even though as Daniel, uh, he's Jewish, and as a Jewish prophet, as a Jewish uh, dignitary in a, a Gentile empire, yet he uh, he identifies himself with this with this Babylonian name. And uh, he was given that name way back in uh, Daniel chapter 1 at the beginning of the of the 70 years of captivity. And it says that uh, the, there, that it says, Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar, and he changes all the names of Daniel's friends to Hananiah uh, Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. So these names were changed in order to reflect the culture of the Babylonian paganism. And, uh, and yet Daniel's name originally meant God is my judge. His name, Belteshazzar, means Bel's prince. And this Bel is spelled uh, B-E-L, but it is the same uh, God, that is, the same pagan God as we are familiar with in other places in the New Testament, or the Old Testament, that is, uh, as, as Baal. And uh, or, or Baal, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And so uh, Daniel still identifies himself because evidently that's the way uh, a large section of the culture would have known him in that day because of his, uh, his position in the, uh, the uh, Babylonian Empire, which now has been taken over by the Persian Empire, but uh, he retains that identity. I just think it's fascinating that that Daniel uh, uh, identifies himself in this way in order to to gain his audience and gain a listening uh, from his audience to know that this is this person. It's the same person 70 years later, at least, uh, even more than 70 years later now. And uh, it says, that uh, this revelation uh, and the message was true and one of great 
conflict. And, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. And in some regards, you see, we're only going to uh, uh, cover j- just a portion of this, but I believe that, uh, that it, you can actually see the entire context if you went all the way from chapter 10, verse 1, all the way through the end of the book, through chapter 12 and verse 13. That is this entire vision. It's a single entire vision in many regards. Now, there's lots of movements, lots of changes, lots of stories, lots of uh, various details you can uh, you can pull out. But in many regards, it is a single entire vision. Now, we're, we're not going to cover it that way, and we're not going to read it that way, but uh, uh, we're going to take several episodes to do this. But I just want you to see that uh, that's possibly what he's talking about. And and again, he says, the message was true. That's the important thing to understand about God's word. And it is is true. And so it says it's one of great conflict. That doesn't doesn't mean that uh, the truth of God's word isn't without certain amount of variety and certain amount of of uh, potential misunderstanding. There's always a potential of misunderstanding. And, And yet, it says that Daniel understood the message and he had understanding of the vision. And then it goes on to say, in those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. And the the context here now, three entire weeks, that meant 21 days. This is weeks of days here in this context. Earlier in chapter 9, uh, in that other vision, we had weeks of years. But now this context uh, is very, very clear that this is weeks of days. And he fasted for three entire weeks of days, 21 days. And we'll get to that uh, right after the break. Welcome back. So we are now uh, finishing up verse 1 and going into verse 2 of chapter 10 of the book of Daniel. It says, In those days I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks, and we made clear before the break that this context uh, is uh, quite understandably uh, a different definition of the uh, term weeks. This is a week of days here, and that means for 21 days, he says in verse 3, I did not eat any tasty food, nor did uh, did meat nor wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the three, that is until the entire three weeks were completed. So this was a rather long uh, series of fasting for Daniel. Uh, For 20 21 days is a rather long fast. Now, we know that the the Lord Jesus uh, uh, did so for 40 days, which is extreme, but uh, that's what the Lord can do. And uh, yet here, 21 days is still a long uh, period of time for a person to go without food. 
and uh, and meat or wine and, and or, or any drink that is uh, now perhaps he had uh, water we don't know about that but uh, this is a part of this fast why was Daniel fasting we don't quite know exactly uh, perhaps it's related to chapter nine and uh, the revelation that he had received even three weeks uh, earlier or uh, three years earlier I'm sorry and uh and yet maybe it's related to news that he had re- he'd received about the status of the Jewish people that had gone back to Jerusalem and back to Judah as the uh, fresh inhabitants, uh, once again, of uh, being repatriated back to their own land. Uh, maybe he'd heard sad or bad news about those people. We're, we're not given a clue exactly of what that meant, but, but something drove Daniel to this fasting, and he did so for 21 days. And uh, it says he did not use any ointment. Maybe that meant uh, uh, any perfume or or any deodorant in our terminology, perhaps, is what that means. But it says on the 24th day of the first month. So he again, he gives us a calendar uh, reference point. And uh, he and so this is twenty uh, fourth day of the first month. While I was on the uh, by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, and so this is about twenty miles away from the uh, uh, the uh, the city of Babylon. Now it says, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen. So. Uh, Daniel had already spent time in prayer, spent time in fasting before this, and this was a part of his career. This was not an unusual action. We find it at the beginning of chapter 9 he did so because he saw something coming, and maybe he did it here because maybe he was reading in Isaiah, maybe he he came across the name Cyrus. Uh, We don't know exactly what was going on except for the fact that uh, this happened and it was true. And that's what Daniel wants to validate here. He says, I looked and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen. Now, uh, what is interesting is that uh, this man has the appearance of a man, but this is more than a man. And uh, and yet it's, it, it could be what uh, some people call a theophany. Uh, that means uh, God uh, revealing himself in, a, in some sort of a human form, which could very well be. It could be, though, uh, more than likely, a vision of the Messiah himself, a Messiah that uh, evidently could be related to an earlier vision. And in fact, uh, that's the best way to interpret the Bible, is by the Bible. Now we know that in Daniel chapter 7 verses 9 and 10, Daniel was given a, a, a separate revelation and he says, I kept looking. This is uh, Daniel 7 verses 9 through 10. It says, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat and his vesture was like white as uh, white snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A river of fire was flowing uh, and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. So this was the Ancient of Days. This is the personhood that we think of as being the Father, or God the Father, that we now call from as from the perspective of New Testament believers. But uh, this is the same person, we believe, seated on the throne, called here in Daniel, the Ancient of Days. Then there's a second person, and uh, in uh, 
New, by New Testament standards, we would call this person the second person of the Trinity. But uh, here in Daniel chapter 7, verses thir- 13 and 14, it says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So you see, this person is the Messiah being presented to the Ancient of Days, the Father. God. And it says, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So this is the Messiah, you see, being called in that context the Son of Man. Now, We believe that that's exactly the same person that's being described here in different details and in a different context, of course, but it's the same one. It said, it's a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. Uphaz evidently was was a location where you could uh, get fine gold. And and then it says his body was like beryl. That meant uh, that uh, his his skin was... Was, uh, was like bronze. It was dark-skinned in that regard. His face was the appearance of lightning. And again, I want to point out to this, these are all similes. You see, these, is, these are ways to describe what, uh, what Daniel is seeing. It, it's not to be taken directly. It's taken as a, as a simile. In other words, this is what it was like. This was the appearance. And this was, uh, and in fact, he uses that, like, appearance, like, like, like. And uh, so uh, it's not what they were, it's what they were like in, in appearance to Daniel. And that's important to keep in mind. Why? Because, because many people uh, look at passages like this and they forget that they're reading English and uh, an English translation of a, of a uh, Hebrew manuscript of these similes. And so that's what these similes are. When it says his, his face had the appearance of lightning, that meant it was bright and it was like a bright flash. And his eyes were like flaming torches. That mean that meant his he could see, he could penetrate to your soul when he looked at you. And as his arms and his feet uh, like the gleam of polished bronze, that meant he was ready and he was strong. That meant he was perhaps even it uh, refers to being muscular. I'm not quite sure about that, but it says and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. And that meant that when this person spoke. It was like a huge uh, crowd speaking all at once. Well, that's a fascinating uh, piece of special effects, I, I could say. And, uh, and yet that is the way that Daniel described this person. Now, he was dressed in linen. He had a belt uh, 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 girded about. In, uh, uh, that was in uh, verse 5. And what's interesting about this entire description is this forms the basis by which we recognize future appearances. And that means the second person of the Trinity sometimes appears in this way. Not when he was here on earth, except perhaps at the, at the Mount of Transfiguration. But other than that, he retained his glory within his human body while he was here on earth, and he kept it hidden. He kept the glory shrouded by his fleshly body. And yet at the same time, he let it out in the Mount of Transfiguration. But even 
after he was resurrected, after he was glorified and risen to heaven, John sees this same person in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. I want you to notice the parallel of this same description. Why is it the same? Because it's the same person. Look, Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, John reveals this, Then I turned to the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. You see, there's the gold of Uphaz, and that's exactly what Daniel saw. It says his head was, uh, and his hair was, were white like wool, like snow. That that was that uh, that uh, where he says his face had the appearance of lightning. That brightness, that reflection, that you needed sunglasses just to look at his face. And it says uh, uh, in Revelation uh, chapter uh, one. Verse 13, it says, he was clothed and girded across his chest with a golden sash. And then verse 14, his head and hair were like uh, uh, white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. That's exactly the way Daniel had described it. His head and his hair were white like wool. Uh, excuse me, his, uh, his feet were like burnished bronze. It's uh, verse 15, when it was has been made to glow in a furnace and his voice like the sound of many waters, like the tumult, Daniel said, like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. So John sees the same person. The difference between uh, these two revealed visions, the Daniel vision and the John vision, is that in the meantime, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of Man has become man. He has dwelt among men. He has lived among men and ministered as a man on earth, even though he is God come in the flesh. And then when he raised from the dead, and then when he ascended back to the Father, then he had the same personage, but he had little changes perhaps because of his resurrection and his glorified body as a human body now. Uh, and uh, it didn't just have the appearance as a man. He was a man in human body, in human flesh, only a raised glorified body, not a deathly body and uh, not a corrupted body at all. And so it says some of the changes was that he uh, he was standing among golden lampstands. That was a change from what Daniel saw because those lampstands represented the churches. And uh, it says that they, he held a sharp two-edged sword in his mouth. That meant that now the, the Old and the New Testament were a part of God's words. And uh, that was the two-edged sword. The words of God were now completed. And that's what what. Uh, what uh, was represented by the the sword coming from uh, the uh, this person's mouth, and so. So Daniel and John sees the same person. One is before the uh, death, burial, burial, and resurrection, and one is after the death, burial, and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. But it's the same one. It is the same Jesus, even though he was known on earth as Jesus. This is the Son of Man, the Anointed, the Messiah. And this is the one that uh, Daniel would have recognized as the Messiah and that God would send to restore his people back to prominence on earth. And uh, that's what 
Daniel saw, that's what John saw. And that's exactly where we find ourselves then. In verses 8 and 9, he says, I saw the vision and everybody else fled. They, they, they flew the coop. They didn't know what was going on, but they, they couldn't exactly see. But they, they knew something was bad, and they left. And it says, and my, he says, I was drained of all my strength. But it, look at this, what it says in verse 9. But I heard the sound of his words. We don't know what he said to him. We don't know what Jesus said to him. He says, and as I heard this, as I uh, heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. So Jesus' words, the one we know as Jesus today, the, the words of this person, the Son of Man speaking to Daniel, calmed him, relaxed him. He, he still had not regained his strength, but at least he was at peace. And he knew that this was a person that was in control of what was about to happen and what was about to be predicted. Father, thank you that we can depend upon the words of the Lord Jesus to comfort us, to give us strength, to give us humility, to give us repentance. His words can give us peace and forgiveness. His words can give us purpose and a future. Dear Father, I pray that we can respond to his words and fall on our faces and worship him, him who is the God of heaven, come to earth, risen again and ascended to heaven again. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.